0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 49 of Material Issues. I'm your host, Mark Hershberger of Pop Detective Records. Under normal circumstances, I'd be saying, and that guy is David Bash of the International Pop Overthrow Festival, but the festival's actually going on right now in Chicago, And uh, David's very busy, so if you're in the Chicago area, head on out to IPO Chicago. Say hello to David. But joining me tonight, a very special co-host. He's been here before. You know him. You love him. He's a musician, a fine drummer. He's written wonderful books, including his latest, which is the Beatles, 100 100 Pivotal Pivotal Moments in Beatles History by (laughs) Mr. John Borak. John, welcome.
1: Thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Uh, well, tonight's show, as a lot of people are looking forward to, is a special show. I mean, they're all special. I love all our guests. But when it comes to certain bands out of the mid-70s that just did it for me, we've got two members tonight that are from one of those bands, and they haven't been interviewed in a very long time, and people haven't heard much from them in a long time. So this is going to be an absolute thrill. I'm looking forward to it. I know you are. You're kind of giving it away there with some uh, wonderful t-shirt action, some CDs in the background. Yeah, yeah, we have two members of Artful Dodger on this evening. So uh, uh, four fantastic major label albums, you know, grossly underrated band that, I mean, not in the Power Pop community. In the Power Pop community, you mentioned Artful Dodger. People go, whoa. Yes. Yeah. No. So, um, but tonight we're going to actually talk to them live, and it will be archived here on material issues. So it's it's going to be going to be quite something. Uh, nice Pirates hat, John.
1: Well, I th- I thought I would uh, kiss up a little bit to my uh, co-host since I'm the uh, guest here. So I figured, <laughs> uh, you know, I knew you were in Pennsylvania. I wasn't sure if Phillies or Pirates. So I I had the Phillies hat on the yes. standby, but you told me to burn that. So I I've got yeah. the pirate hat on.
0: Yeah, the p- Pirates, uh, the Lumber Company, the Buccos, especially of the uh, you know late '60s into all throughout the '70s were my team. You know, I was a Clemente freak. Um, and just everything was great. The '71 series, the '79 series, you know,
1: couldn't oh, yeah. couldn't be debunked. Clemente, so. Stargell, Al Oliver, Dave Cash, all those guys. Randy, Randy, yep,
0: on and on and on. So, uh, um, oh, look at this. A first comment came in. Rave on, guys. Some, somebody oh, yeah. somebody knows the yeah knows our guests tonight and we'll but, be talking um, about
1: that album later you know we'll be talking on. about that album. You, know, yeah. you know mark you had mentioned uh power pop and artful dodger you know i want to say right off the bat before we uh have our guests on is that you know people are always trying to define power pop what is it is this band power pop are they not power pop a lot of bands have the power, but not quite the pop. A lot of bands are very poppy, not necessarily powerful. Right. Heartful Dodger had both. Had both. And you yes, listen yes. to those records, and they still sound so powerful. Vocals are amazing. The playing is amazing. The melodies, the songs. But we'll get into all that. But we'll
0: get into all that. Sure.
1: Pop because it has both.
0: You're absolutely correct. And you know what? While we're while we're saying that, why don't we? Why don't we stop uh, talking about it? Let's bring on these guests because I know everybody's going to want to see two original members of Artful Dodger, ladies and gentlemen. I give you Mr. Billy Paliselli and Mr. Steve Cooper of Artful Dodger. Hello, guys. You can't you can't hear all the clapping out 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 in uh, internet land, but I know there's a lot of people clapping. Welcome, my friends. Welcome. To material issues, artful Dodger, mid seventies band that just lit it up for me when I was uh, when I was a teenager in high school. Absolutely a thrill to have you both here. You both look fantastic. And what the? How the heck are you feeling, Billy?
2: Um, I feel wonderful.
0: Excellent, excellent.
2: I feel great. Thank you for asking, and thank you for having us on.
0: Oh, I quite welcome. Our thrill, Steve. How you feeling tonight?
3: Doing great, and it's good to be here with you guys. Oh, Appreciate anytime. you
0: having us on. Uh, it's our pleasure. It's an absolute yeah. thrill. Um, as we as we always do, we like to try to uh, go back to the beginning. And I, I'd like to ask both of you, because here's one thing that I didn't know, Billy, um, knowing that you co-wrote a lot of the songs for Artful Dodger. Uh, as a lead singer, I didn't know that you were considered a heck of a drummer and that you're a multi-instrumentalist. And you, you. Wow, you were... is that generous? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm just saying one of the questions that I would have because of all these songs that you co-wrote is, you know, um, were you just the lyrics guy? And I don't think you were just the lyrics guy. You'll probably, uh, you'll probably tell us that. But if we can go back to the beginning and let let us know, Billy, how did you start uh, your musical? road as a kid were you influenced by your by parents or friends or
2: well yeah we were Steve and I uh, had another cousin uh, whose name was Artie and he was playing and I wanted to play drums and in fact I tortured one of my neighbors in Fairfax uh, until he finally started to try to teach me the basic stuff and um, he was a Beach Boys fan Uh, Steve I'm talking about Herb Shelley um and so finally got a drum set steve had a uh, guitar and it, it just kind of took off from there and after we did some shows i think played at some church dances and things like that and then um we became a band called Brat.
0: Mm-hmm. and uh, steve can fill in the blanks there i always leave plenty well, just so everybody knows, Billy and Steve are cousins. You know, I know you mentioned cousins, but uh, yeah, we actually um, grew
1: up next living next door to each other. right uh, okay. so the the question I would have right off the bat there, which of you is Brian Wilson, and which is Mike Love?
2: Oh, i, I don't I don't think we ever had the Beach Boys thing like herb the drum teacher did. <laughs> but um we were we were more of, Beatles, Stones, Dave Clark, five, who I yeah. remember Steve liked very much. And I liked them too. Awesome. And, uh, you know, and it just, got, you know how it sort of naturally evolves yeah. and, uh, gosh, it was fun. It was really a fun time.
0: What did you and, start uh, on Steve? Uh, did you start, did you start on bass or were you, uh, did you start with piano or guitar or anything different?
3: I started with guitar. Okay. All right. And, uh, I, I I was drafted at one point. I was in the army, and Billy was playing with uh, Gary Herwig and Steve Brigida, and Gary Cox came along and switched from bass to guitar, and that's why they needed a bass player. And I jumped at the chance to play bass with him. Yeah.
0: Now, now you got you guys were in a band prior to Brat. You uh, you were in something what they call yeah. Badge. Was it Badge? Badge. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that actually that did happen before, Brad. My apologies. Yeah. That's all right. That's all right. Now, you, you so you, you were you were gigging and doing some things around Fairfax as Badge, and then the other three, Brigida uh, Herwig, and Cox were uh, in a band called Homestead. Yes, correct. Um, uh, now, w- was this was this high school time or was this post high school? Uh, I think it was high school time, wasn't it, Steve?
3: It it was and and post high school by a couple of years. Sure, yeah. We met, the two bands met playing at the same club.
0: Oh, okay. And right. We each
3: admired what the other was doing,
0: and so, they yeah, made, yeah.
3: they made a plan then and there to steal Bill away as a singer,
0: <laughs> put him out front. Well, I ha- yeah. I had read somewhere that uh, I don't know whether it was Bridget that said it uh, that they needed a, a new singer and but but Bill was playing drums with. Badge and occasionally would come out and do some vocals and they were like, this guy's a much better vocalist than he is the drummer, even though it wasn't a bad drummer, but I think Bridget wanted to make sure that his job was secure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's bring Billy in as, as the singer. And uh, yeah. yeah, well, it was just, you know, there,
2: there there was not a lot of us lead singers sitting behind drum sets. <laughs> oh, you know
0: I mean, well, Karen, Karen carpenter pulled it off you couldn't pull Karen it off. carpenter
2: did way better than I ever did I
3: will <laughs> tell you truthfully Bill was as good as at playing drums and singing the lead vocals as Don Henley or Buddy miles or the guy in the romantics well thank you.
0: Yeah. Steve. nice yeah nice. it was fun
3: I had such a blast. Um, and you learn where to put. And John, maybe you're familiar as a drummer. You learn where to put the fills and where to leave them out. So, oh yeah. So you're not conflicting with the vocal. Yeah,
1: yeah, you never want to step on the lead vocalist for sure. And if you're the drummer Steve. and the lead vocalist, you know you don't step yeah. on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh,
2: do you remember, um, you, Steve? You remember John Verts, Vertus, Verts, Vertus? Yeah, Vertus. Uh, this guy's like you know, six foot eight, bass player. <laughs> and was a real character and a
1: really good guy. Really he was fun. part of Badge for a while. Yeah,
2: part of Badge, right. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, so you, you guys, guys- released 145 uh, as Brat, I believe. Uh, yes. Was that? that was called Not Quite Right, and I remember that because I actually have the uh, 45 in my collection. Yes. Did you ever record anything else uh, other than the two sides of that single? Um, uh, yes, but nothing that was
2: ever released like that. I mean that was our attempt at you know our own label um you know the the uh, rooster listening to the speakers was kind of an rCA takeoff <laughs> of the dog listening to his
0: master right right well, that was all that was all what red red rooster the label uh, was yeah, called red it rooster was? records yeah i w- when john was telling me he had a copy of the 45 i, I was absolutely amazed and um yeah we're gonna we're going to get into uh, of course Rayvon later but John is is a relatively new owner of a test pressing of Ravon. Okay. so um, ah, you good. know um, when, we, when we figure out how that's going to be re-released on vinyl and CD we may have to we may have to call John up for a you know, break the, yeah. the master tapes are lost forever I don't yeah. know but um, uh, yes you guys the- you guys knew each other playing high school and playing the circuit um, and you you uh, they, you guys formed the band Brat while Steve, you were in the military. And, um, I think I do have a there we go, we have that little, a little uh community center flyer with Brat. Um,
3: that's Nils Lofgren, of yeah. course,
0: in Grin and Grin, yeah, in yeah. Grin. That was kind of cool, I found this online. But, um, so, so, so Brat was formed, and you guys are doing fairly well playing the same. The same club circuit in the same basic area. Um, and you come back out of the military and they kind of ceremoniously dumped the. Uh, Who's the original bass player? Inglis, I believe his last name was. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 He was Pete, he was the Pete Best of uh, of Brat slash Artful Dodger, um,
2: <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. There <laughs> was some. Um, Rob was an interesting character. Um, and uh, then I shall say no
0: more. <laughs> <laughs> well, in case he's watching, you know, hi, and we we know I'm you're an awesome character. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so, 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 tell us a little bit about Brat. Uh, what was you know what 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 were you focusing on? What were your plans? Um, how did that then come into being? You know, demos uh, that you're going to start shopping around.
2: Well. I mean, we went to we had friends that owned a studio called Bias Studios, which, by the way, is where Ray Vaughn was recorded. OK. And um, we went in recording. I don't think there was ever any um, idea that the band wanted to do anything except go get the major label behind us. And of course, that manifested itself in Gary Cox going and meeting with David Krebs at Lieber Krebs in New York. And um, but yeah, that that band, I believe, as Steve may remember something different that, um, I mean, our target was major recording label. I mean, we had a lot of stuff we were working on writing and we knew we had some good songs and um, it seemed like the right time. So, you know, that was really kind of it. Steve. Steve, uh, well, he, uh, just,
1: he, oh, I'm sorry, I was going to say he just walked into the Lieber Krebs office in New York City with the demo tape, right? Gary this, Cox, hall yeah. Hall, hall. Yeah, yeah. He, You can't do anything like that today. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. It was a shot in the dark. Uh, well, totally, no and, I mean,
2: what was totally amazing is that David Krebs took the time understanding what his schedule was to even listen to this thing. And I think that he thought it was so audacious for this young guy to walk in with this demo tape <laughs> and that he thought, Hmm, maybe I better listen to this. Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, I'm not sure what the catalyst was for him, but,
0: uh, we thank goodness
2: that yeah. it happened like that.
0: You know? yeah. now, Steve, Steve, a couple of questions though. A why, uh, why Cox, why send Cox packing to New York city instead of any of the other, any of all of you, um, and and B, what, what were on the demos? What, what did uh, Krebs listen to that made him go, wow?
3: You know, that was actually uh, prior to me joining the band. Okay. And it may have been Gary Cox because he might not have been working at the time. My <laughs> friend, oh, the only one that could actually get, get away and get up to New York. <laughs>
0: well,
3: That's yeah. exactly correct.
0: Yeah, and as John said, yeah, you know, we we've interviewed a lot of uh, a lot of artists from the '60s and '70s on this program, and it's really funny. Back in those days, you could actually walk into a major label with with your tapes yeah. and say, you know, if you got the time, can you listen to this? And people listened, and people got signed. You can't do that anymore these days, but uh, it's pretty amazing. I don't know how many how many labels you know uh, Gary might have gone to, um, but to end up with Krebs holding it right there, saying, "Come on in," and and let's listen to this and and and, and real, and take it from there. It's just absolutely amazing.
3: Absolutely amazing. And you know, the, the reason Lieber Krebs was on the list because the Gary saw it on the back of a New York dolls album. That right he,
1: he, yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they managed, I guess, uh at the time the uh, the dolls, ACDC, Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, right? So a lot of heavy hitters.
0: Heavy hitters yeah and heavy and heavy acts. um you know for that for that time so that that was probably what was what 1974?
2: 4 something like that
0: yeah yeah so this yeah. turns this turns into a, a a three album deal with columbia right yes yeah. so so what happens at this point um you, you guys get signed you're you're now brat and they decide there's a band uh, in the UK that has not so good of a reputation, named Brat, and we, we got to change our name. Um, and who comes up? Who comes up with the new name?
3: Gary hey. uh, girlfriend, soon to become wife. She We're just still paying her for, for for that <laughs> a small, a small royalty, <laughs>
0: small small royalty for coming up with Artful Dodger.
1: Now, now, uh, now. I read. Tell me if this is true that she came up with "Artful Dodger" because there was some kind of a reference to a brat, right? Is
2: that true? Uh, I'm I'm not clear that that's correct, but uh, you know, perhaps.
0: You know. <laughs> so, so you get a deal with Columbia, and and uh, you've got to get into the studio. What's do you, what studio uh, were you in for the for album number one? the self-titled art for Dodger
3: the record plant New York City
0: record plant New York City doesn't it doesn't get much uh, better than that in, in in the top of the recording world what was the feeling uh, uh, for five young guys out of Fairfax Virginia recording album number one at the record plant with Jack Douglas right
3: with, with Jack Douglas group Springsteen is in studio B we're in studio a Springsteen's in studio wow. B. Finishing up, Born to Run, <laughs> and there's all kinds of you know celebrities that coming in and out. Yes, yeah, absolutely.
0: So what? So what's that like? So, what were you feeling at the time? Were you feeling like we belong here, or was it more like, "Holy shit, this is happening"?
2: You know, uh, um, probably the latter. <laughs> no, it was. Um, it was fun. We had actually, Steve, if I remember correctly. Didn't we do some recording and what have you up in Pennsylvania in
3: the mountains somewhere with Jack Douglas? Well, we did. uh, On the first album, we actually went up to the Poconos. That's right. To a vacated, uh, some kind of resort retreat. And the mobile truck from the record plant came up and we did some basic tracks up in the Poconos. The only reason we did that is because Jack Douglas wanted to get out of the city for this. Yeah, he wanted a vacation. (laughs) As simple as that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, with, with that first album, and here and here's where, here's where things get kind of mushy. With Artful Dodger, as great as all the music is, that first album was causing uh, a stir. You know, the the uh, you know, the press was getting the you know the the, the pre build up. Everything was looking great. The label was thinking, or people were thinking, "Think, think is going to be going to be the song. This is going to be the single. This is coming out hot." And then Columbia turns around and releases "Silver and Gold," which is not a bad tune.
1: It's uh, it's, single. It's not a single. It, in my opinion, that wasn't a single.
0: It's not a single that comes right out of the bat with album number one for a band that is pumped up to be this, and then all of a sudden, this is what we get. What are you? What are your feelings on that, you guys? Well, they, I go ahead, go ahead,
3: Steve. They didn't know what to do with this. <laughs> And they they didn't know what the band was about, really, you know, to turn around and to do that, to release the one song on the album that some, you know, somebody other than the songwriting team wrote. And Gary Cox was singing it, too. Yeah. And we, we butted heads with the label over that. And the compromise was for Bill to sing it. But they insisted it was a single. And it was a great album song, but not a single.
0: Right. Great yeah. album
3: I, I actually went to David Krebs
2: and, who was not happy about the selection of that as a single, obviously and I said, well don't worry David, it'll be wonderful we'll be up on stage and I'll say okay folks, here's the band to do their number one hit record Silver and Gold <laughs> so, you know, he understood everybody um, I believe with even a small part of a brain understood having me sing that song. Uh, you know, Gary wrote it, and it, it, you know, it had a great deal of meaning for him. And um, quite frankly, uh, you know, it, it was a song that I'm sure he could have released years later as a as a solo uh, thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. You because know, it well, would very uh, well more.
1: with a lot of his um, originals. I would yeah. have thought some, something more representative of the Artful Dodger sound at that time as a single would have been either Think Think or Wayside, the mm-hmm. opening guy. Both of those would have been great singles.
0: Yeah.
3: And
1: Think Think was the second single
3: uh, yeah. signal single,
0: yeah. excuse me. Yeah. But again, when you're coming out of the gates with Silver and Gold and now you're going to you're, you're probably going to head out on tour, and uh, I think you opened you open for a lot of interesting acts uh, on that tour behind that album um, with the first single, Silver and Gold. And you're, you're doing songs like Wayside and Think, Think, which, which rock, you know. Um, and then all of a sudden, it brings everything back down with, with that single. And it just, um, you know, I, what I read, the, 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 rec- the record company was like, well, it's these guys' fault. It's Artful Dodger's fault, you know. This isn't, this isn't a record company fault, obviously never is but um you know it just and then they kind of they kind of didn't they didn't promote the heck out of you like they should have um which is a, the case of many record companies as well but um it was just a, a bad decision bad decision we, we
3: didn't realize at the time that after that scuffle over the song we were dead men walking to columbia yeah. Mm,
0: yeah. yes and you signed well, you signed a three album deal too you know so right. you had you had two more albums uh and John and I were talking uh, yesterday about the fact that uh, yeah, after that first album really didn't do a thing, and the second album didn't do a thing. Like, really. how the heck did they even have to get a third album? But you had a, you had a deal on the table, and I guess they they stuck with the deal.
2: Uh, well, and it was also and Steve, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, I believe that our Columbia albums were done. Uh, as CBS pilot records, ah. and pilot records was Lieber Krebs,
0: right? Okay.
2: And mm. my suspicion always was that they had kind of a sore ass over all that anyway. Mm.
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, and I'm I'm talking about those folks at Columbia.
1: Um, yeah, I, I I read in an article online that part of the issue was that Columbia thought Lieber Krebs was taking. Too much control and having too much influence, and they were trying to kind of bring them back down a little bit. Which, yeah, you know, all, all yeah. it did was was hurt was hurt you guys in the well, end. Well, and
2: time. and David had uh, pretty much a plan for every band that he was managing. You know how he was going to make this or that happen. So mm-hmm. um, th- there were, of course, just it was just a comedy of errors, and um, it was unfortunate, but. You know, we had a record deal, and the percentage of bands out there that ultimately get one with a major label
1: yeah.
2: are very small.
1: Right, so yeah. we
2: were we were really very lucky. And, 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 well,
1: yeah. and not only that, but you got to share stages with Kiss, um, yeah. Eric Carmen, so many other um, right you know, well, classic think- rock people. I wrote. I wrote down
0: on that on the tour for after the first. He opened for Heart, Ario, Speedwagon, Leonard Skinner, Blue Oyster Cult, Ted Nugent. I mean, you were opening for at that time huge acts.
2: Yeah, you know, in uh, front
0: of a lot of people. But uh, um, yeah, yes, yeah. One of your one of your great
2: uh, things that you always want to do when you're an opening act is open for Blue Oyster Cult in Chicago.
3: Uh, <laughs> Things we can, can get ugly in milk. Chicago. I the <laughs> we were booked on a Friday, Saturday night to be the opening act at the Aragon in Chicago. And the first night was Iron Butterfly and Blue Oyster Cult. And the second night was Ted Nugent and Rush. <laughs> right. And the people there did not want any part of us.
0: Did not want any part of Artful Dodger. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh... And, and of course, now you're you're also you know pushing this single, which just doesn't really fit in with some of those acts whatsoever. And you're touring now for for a better part of a year as you approach album number two, um, uh, which is Honor Among Thieves. Um, uh, what was the writing like while while looking towards the second album, knowing what happened with Silver and Gold and, and nothing, you know? nothing happening with that did you approach things differently as as the second album uh, was going to take place
2: i i think that very honestly we had a writing style uh, and primarily it was songs gary and i wrote and i i don't think that there was a lot of forethought given to what should we do it was really just a natural thing
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know honor among thieves happened like a lot of the songs happened it just happened and uh, you know i don't know that we ever sat down and really analyzed it you're talking about a bunch of 20 somethings yeah you know it wasn't of course it's a business but that isn't how you considered your writing as Mm -hmm. you didn't think of it as a business you thought of it as oh that's a cool song or that's a great song you know it's um Sorry, I, I don't mean
0: to oversimplify it. But no, that's... but, uh, but here's, here's a question for you, though, Billy. You, know, you co-wrote with Gary so many of the songs for Artful Dodger. And again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you're known as Billy Palatelli, lead singer of Artful Dodger. Um, but you obviously no songwriting. What was the songwriting process for you and Gary? Um, did you guys sit well... down and work things out, guitars, pianos? Did you bring in ideas to each other? And flesh them out as a yeah, duo. We would,
2: we would bring ideas to each other. Frequently, our process was: Gary would have um, a chord and/or melody idea, and I would come in, sit, listen, and then sort of come up with something. Mm-hmm. And and that was really how it went. Um, and it was um, it was a great working relationship like that for a long time. And. My understanding from the stuff I've read, and perhaps John can clear it up, is that was a lot of the way that John Lennon and Paul McCartney did
0: it. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. You know, it was, he's got this, I've got this, let's see what happens.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. it's sort of like, you know, um, Paul, Paul McCartney, for example, when they were doing Sergeant Pepper, brought in the line, it's getting better all the time. Right. And then John immediately piped up, well, it can't get much worse. And there's yeah. was a song, you know, there's
0: Absolutely. a song. So when you guys would come up with, uh, with with songs and then bring it to the rest of the band, uh, then, you know, Steve, the bass lines all came from you. You you added what, what you felt was appropriate because you got a lot of great ba- bass lines throughout, throughout the entire ca- catalog as well, um, especially when you're pumping up with the earphones. I love listening to, to, to really good bass players. And yeah, uh, you're-
3: Steven is a brilliant musician.
0: Fantastic bass player. Yeah, well, What
3: I always appreciated about Artful Dodgers, Do- Artful Dodgers, that they always wanted the bass loud. You never had to ask them to turn the bass up. And both Gary's had been bass players.
0: Yeah, okay.
3: For the first album, I'd only been playing bass, I don't know, four or five months. Yeah. And so everybody was giving me bass lines for that. Jack Douglas played bass. Yeah. So they yeah. were coming from everywhere. And the first album, I just kind of had to put them all together.
0: And it's funny you should say that because when, when I listen to this stuff on my headphones, yeah, the, the bass is prominent in the mix. It's not, uh, it's not in the background. It, uh, you know, but very McCartney wise, like, you know, McCartney's bass was always prominent in the mix and, and carried a lot of the, a lot of the songs to, to the places they got to go. Sa- same way with your bass playing,
1: Steve. Uh, uh, really, uh,
0: really great stuff. Yeah. yeah it's, stuff. It's, it's, uh, uh, your, your,
1: your bass is used not, not just as a rhythmic instrument, but as a melodic instrument, like, like McCartney did.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Some of that came
1: from Gary Cox. He,
3: Gary Cox was a melodic bass player. So I actually picked up some things from him.
0: So you really had quite a stack of talented, multi-instrumentalist musicians in this band. And that's, that's probably one of the the reasons why everything that came out of the band is so strong. Yeah. all four albums every there's there's really there's really nothing on there that you could say well that, that was such a clunker throwaway. That, everything was just so well done uh outside of the covers keep a knocking and come on everybody which obvious covers but uh really well double let's get into album number two with honor among thieves um where was that recorded
3: also the record Plant. the record plant,
0: yeah. album number two goes right back to the record plant uh jack douglas was still at the helm for that one right no no,
3: he was Eddie executive Leonetti. producer, but he brought in a protege of his, Leonetti. Eddie, Eddie Leonetti. Yeah.
0: Le- Leonetti. All right. And
3: Jack would come in periodically and have a listen, make suggestions.
0: OK. All right. And uh, um, honor among thieves. I, I had a question about it. New York Post critic Dave Marsh wrote, yeah. if you love the idea of an American Rolling Stones, Artful Dodger is as close as you're going to come which, uh, which I think is a pretty, pretty hefty, uh pretty hefty compliment. That's uh, very, very nice of Dave. Dave.
3: <laughs> but he got a promo copy. He didn't have to buy his.
0: <laughs> Another Facebook user chiming in honor among is still amazing. Thank you, whoever, Thank know. you know,
1: I think that's a very underrated record in in your catalog. A lot of people talk about the first album. A lot of people talk about "Rave On" as as being the best. I think "Honor Among Thieves" has some has some great songs on it. The title track is is a really cool track. Of course, "Scream," uh, amazing and an amazing vocal performance from from you on on that one in particular, Billy. Thank you. Um, yeah. but, you know, I think the the production didn't seem as full maybe as the first album. You know, a, a song for example like "Not Enough." You know that chorus should have just exploded and it just seemed kind of muted as far as the production goes
3: mm-hmm.
1: you know something very surprising to me that so many people
3: like honor among thieves because when it got mastered it lost a lot of the the pop and the sheen that we had in the studio it sure it did. totally yeah. different mm.
0: there's jimmy from the outsiders saying hi jimmy hello jimmy Yeah, nice uh, time won't let me outsiders yeah, wow. I don't know. Jimmy, are you is that uh drop us a note? Is that time won't let me outsiders, or are we, we got a different outsiders going on? I don't know. That'd be great. He might he might pop follow up. But uh Columbia. Oh yeah, yes, sir. It's Jimmy from Time Won't Let Me, the Outsiders. There you go. Very cool. Great song. Thanks yeah, for trying, ch- Jimmy. Yeah, nice. Appreciate that. Great song. Uh, so second album, again, Columbia doesn't seem to be really pushing you guys. Uh, however, you did end up on, on quite a tour um, pushing that album, opening up for the all-new Bizarre Stage Show for KISS. <laughs> you got to tell us what that was like opening up for KISS. Go ahead, Steve.
3: Go ahead, Steve. <laughs> I'll tell you, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley were two very friendly, nice guys. Yes, and we, you know, hung around with them a lot. And they were funny. And and Gene Simmons always used to tease me about my mustache and say I look like a fruit vendor out on the streets of New York City. You know, it, <laughs> no facial hair and bands.
0: Wait, wait a second, Steve, before you finish that, I there's there's Steve with the mustache. In case anybody's not familiar with the uh, the mustache.
3: <laughs> he could be selling fruit on the streets of New York. But he also, one time, uh, Gary Cox had a Nils Lofgren button on, and Gene Simmons picked him up and lifted him up off his feet and said, never wear anything that refers to another band.
0: <laughs> Good call. <laughs> But but that had to be strange though. Uh, I re- reading some art- articles of, about that where you're walking on stage to open up for Kiss, and that's the Kiss Army down in front of you. Everybody's got, you know, makeup and everything going on. I mean, what really was the reaction from a crowd like that to a band like you guys opening up for Kiss?
2: I I thought we did um, pretty well given how different right. the two bands were. Um, I thought that well, first of all, as I had said earlier prior to this going on, they are an incredibly professional organization and um, I never minded opening for them at all because I thought that their um, audience was was fairly accepting of us. Um, You know, I don't know that any of them ran out and bought our stuff, but I don't recall us ever getting booed by a KISS audience. Do you, Steve?
3: No, generally the acceptance was, was very good, but about, well, you know, the KISS audience, if you look outside, their moms and dads were dropping them off. Yes. They were younger. It was a younger audience.
0: <laughs> well, and you guys, you know, in okay, case so it was a younger audience and you guys had the look, I mean, you guys looked great on stage. Of course, you know, Billy was uh was strutting his stuff. You, you were a good looking band. Uh, there were articles that actually mentioned that that these guys had the look. You know, not only the chops but the look. Um, so you know that that had to go over. Now, did Honor Among Thieves outsell the debut album? Uh, do you know? Um,
3: I don't know that we ever. I I truly an accurate know. account of uh, of album sales.
2: No. <laughs> no, you know we were we were told frequently. Um, and I mean this with every album, that there was buyer demand not being met because distribution hadn't gotten it. You know, they hadn't brought the records into the marketplace where they were, uh, could have been selling in bigger numbers. I so there were a number of just, as I said, a comedy of
0: errors. And, you know. So at you know, at this point now you've got you've got two albums under your belt at Columbia, neither of which really made a dent in the charts with singles or anything. But you've got a three album deal. What was Columbia telling you now before you're heading into album number three? Was there any, you know, you know, come on guys or or do or die or whatever it may be or or what's the feeling at this point?
2: Um. Steve, I don't really remember. Do you have any? I I don't
3: think they bothered to give us much feedback. Seriously. Yeah.
2: Wow. I think it was um, they were there was such a disappointment thing from their standpoint with regard to the release of silver and gold that I think that they sort of half ass forgot us the rest of the time
0: how does it, here's a question for you. So you're on album number two, you're touring. Are you guys making an okay living as Artful Dodger and a band and, and touring uh, behind, behind two albums? What What, what is that, on that DM,
2: like? Steve, because that was about it.
0: Yeah, really? <laughs> these are, these are questions that we get curious about. It's like, okay, you've got, you guys, you got two major label albums. You're, you're, you're opening for some fantastic acts. You're touring um but is it a struggle
3: it is i mean we were on a salary at, you know every time we did a record we get an advance of personally each of us about a thousand dollars which doesn't <laughs> last long. but uh and we had a per diem when we were on the road but otherwise we were getting you know a, a check every couple of weeks but of course that always goes against your earnings had we at some point you know Started making money it would have been a long time before we actually had would see it right
0: right well I mean talking to you know, 2, they still owe capital records a whole lot of money you know <laughs> to this day um, my good friends in blue ash you're probably familiar with uh with them they played the same circuit you did um, uh, they we've always, I always had the conversation with those guys they were just doing whatever they could to scrape by uh, and some of them still working in in record stores during the day and playing gigs at night, even with two major label albums out, you know, um, it's tough. It's a tough hoe. But, you know, when uh, we
3: were doing the the arena size tour with Kiss, we'd get into a town, we'd go to the record store. There would be no records. We would right. get to the, the venue. Our name wasn't on the marquee. And the only time that anything was ever said about us was when the MC said, you know, ladies and gentlemen, Arthur Dodger. And that's why people are right. coming in, and you know, if they're coming in at all, to you know, they're usually on the concourse getting whatever. Right. So I mean, it was nobody knew who we were.
1: I I, uh, I remember hearing that you know back then, and even up through through the eighties, there weren't many artful Dodger records in the stores, like like you mentioned. And when people did find copies, they were radio station copies or promo copies. Yeah, right. They didn't get the stock copies into the stores for people to buy. So you guys were automatically at sort of a disadvantage. We were. Yes.
0: Wow. And the and the fact that you don't really know numbers of sales and things, it that doesn't seem like uh, it seems like you were just kind of there. Um and Columbia just wasn't wasn't doing much to, to, to help out such such great music and that uh, I mean, we we hear we 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 hear it all the time. We see it all the time. Uh, John and I've been around.
1: Yeah, typical yeah. major label story for a lot of bands. Right, exactly.
0: very typical story. Um, people and people don't realize just how hard it is to not only write and perform that kind of really good material, but you can have the best material in the world. But if you're not you're not in the right place at the right time at the right label doing the right things, it's just not gonna not gonna come from it. But um, um, but you leave quite a legacy so now we get into album number three which is your final album uh, on Columbia uh, real quickly where where was this one recorded at
3: record plant New York
0: City we've got three albums going on at the record plant was this Leonetti as well at yes. the home okay. yeah um, one of the one of the things that I read and you've got to you know set the story straight here was that uh, Gary Cox wanted to bring in a lot of special guests and celebrity appearances on this album. And yes. it, ki- it kind of was not a popular decision with you, Billy and, uh, and Haraway and, and whatnot. Can you explain a little bit more as to h- what happened with that and how that happened? Cause I'm reading names like Steven Tyler, uh, Dick Wagner from Alice Cooper's band, uh, Derek St. Holmes from Ted Nugent, uh, sax player that played with Billy Joel, Steely Dan, We've got a bunch of people that that Cox is bringing in. What's going on with that?
2: Well, I, I my opinion is that Gary Cox thought uh, that that might help with regard to um, future airplay. If you had well-established um, stars, musicians, who were accompanying you in this album, it might cause a DJ to throw that album on and try a couple of songs that they otherwise might not have. Um, uh, Babes on Broadway was a a very peculiar album, in my opinion, from the standpoint of um, Gary Herwig and I, I believe were so, we were in such a state of anxiety over the first, how the first two albums had not performed um, on a retail level and uh i don't think we were as present on that album as we needed to be and that's that is bill's opinion that has nothing to do with what they call history with regard to that
0: no but that you know that that's that's a valid opinion i mean gary was involved in either writing or co-writing like i think five of the tracks right Um, um but you know and, and a lot of people discount that album just like you know well the other three albums were really good with, uh, but i think babes on broadway you know had some some fantastic tracks on it i mean try yes. not to try not to sing who in the world after you hear that one time you know that yeah. that's very uh, you know very anthemic uh, sing along type song can't stop pretending uh, there, there's some really good tracks on the, on that album but uh yeah, um, Gary was a uh, Gary Cox was a huge Bee Gees fan,
2: yes. and um, I think what he was looking for was that maybe the magic that touched some of the Bee Gees hits would touch who in the world. And it was a great song, and he did a wonderful job singing it. And you know, much like Silver and Gold, it was just a bit odd from my standpoint.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, but not I I never felt negative about it or anything else it was Gary filling in the blanks and there were some there there were five I
1: think yeah uh,
0: just, say just, it
1: didn't seem didn't seem representative of your sound really to me uh, correct uh, to to me uh your lead vocals Billy are, are one of the um one of the selling points of of Artful Dodger you know that uh just Thank very you. very passionate very rocking and you know a lot of people call Artful Dodger power pop but um you know a lot of power pop bands some had power some had pop not too many had both like you guys did and i've seen some live clips i mean you guys were just after it i mean back then you know 75 through 80 just you know a really really killer live act and your your vocal chops were, were just amazing i i always kind of thought it sounded like if uh if steve marriott and rod stewart had a baby it would have sounded like you.
0: yeah, yeah very i mean very very distinctive i mean very distinctive and and, and you, you could kill it with a rocker but the it, your voice also works so well with just uh the ballad type tunes and um yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you just had it. You just had it in space. Well, but that's uh, that's so very yeah. nice. Thank you. Oh, oh, fantastic! Now, do you re- do you remember? Uh, you see a name like Stephen Tyler's brought in. What 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 did he what did he do on that album? Anybody
2: ever? Well, he from... sang backup on. Um, all right, he, on a song called "All Right." All
0: right, all right, all right.
2: Yeah, and that was actually done by our joint publicist, Laura Kaufman she asked Stephen
0: to do it and he did it and, and you talk about Cox thinking well maybe this is going to get us some airplay or whatnot but who was going to who was even going to know about some of these guests coming in if, if Columbia wasn't going to that
2: was... sort of counts on the idea that they that they can and do read liner
0: notes. <laughs> well, you know, get, getting back to my T-shirt, Klaatu and their fourth album, uh, they barely played any any instruments on it. They brought in all the, the, the top studio musicians, Lee Sklar, the Tower Powered Horn section. They brought all, because this was going to be it for them, but nobody knew that 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 2 didn't play, play on the album. That was, right. you know, what it is, so... You know, to to anybody's knowledge, it's Artful Dodger, Babes on Broadway. This is Artful Dodger, you know, and it wasn't, as John said, it wasn't really representative of at least, you know, what we expected after the first two albums uh, in Artful Dodger. Um, So after this album really didn't do anything and and everything kind of went south, uh, Cox left the group. Yes. Yeah. He said, uh, uh,
2: Steve can probably fill in the blanks there better than I can
3: you know he actually um, I don't know that he ever signed a solo deal but he was recording in the record plant and I believe some of the people working with him were from Billy Joel's band and he did a demo tape and I think that um, there was a change in uh, the leadership at Columbia and Gary Cox was forgotten hmm. so who knows he may have had a second life after Artful Dodger. Right. But it, and, and should have. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then same thing. It just wasn't in the cards.
0: And obviously a ta- talented songwriter in his own right. Uh, but um, but, he, but he, he took off. And now your deal with Columbia is over. What's your thinking at this time? Three right. albums. Nothing really happened.
2: Well, Columbia's we deal. Kind of over. Of knew that our deal with David Krebs would be over. Right. Uh, because David wasn't going to be able to um, get Columbia Records to get excited about a fourth record, uh, I have no doubt that he could have made them record a fourth album. But why? Mm-hmm. You know, um, why bother? You had three shots. You didn't do
0: it. So what? Uh, so so what's your feeling? Where, where are you guys at at this point now? Uh, um, I well, mean. Uh we
2: actually um, looked at a couple of different things. I remember um, there was a producer, and maybe Steve will remember who it is, who had us go to this place called the Hit Factory, where we had actually recorded something, though I don't remember what it was. And I don't remember if this was the exact time, but that was the time that we, Steve, do you remember when we saw Stevie Wonder on the elevator?
3: I remember that I wasn't there and had to listen to the story. I'm sorry.
2: sorry. Yeah. And um, we actually got on this elevator and we're like in awe that there is Stevie Wonder. And as the elevator's moving, he said, what floor are you getting off on? And we said the third. And he said, you just passed it. <laughs> and so we got off the set. He invited us to come watch. I remember I watched him record the song, Isn't She Lovely? Wow. And it was really a cool thing. But uh anyway, none of that turned out to be anything for us. And it was really Hank LaConte from the Agora in Cleveland who manipulated the next record for us and Again, perhaps Steve knows more of the little details.
3: You know, meanwhile, we were doing demo tapes for uh, Warner Brothers and Capitol, uh, <coughs> some other labels, but we just kept hearing back from them. We don't hear a single because everybody was kind of afraid to take us on. We'd had three albums on Columbia. We were with Libra Krebs. You know, we, we didn't cut right. through. And so they were kind of, you know, they would give us money for demos, but they just didn't hear a single is as, as what they said.
0: Well, before we get into really next album, I got a nice co- uh, comment here. Someone says, I may be slightly biased, but Artful Dodger is one of the strongest rock and roll bands in American history. I feel bad for all the people that don't know their music. I listen to them weekly. So uh, oh, thank you. That's so nice. Thank
3: you, hon. That was my wife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and she may be biased. <laughs> no,
3: it wasn't. Pope. She is. It, was, it wasn't really.
0: Uh, but B- Billy's wife had written a comment here. I didn't put it up. She said, this band really wasn't as good as you guys think they are.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, we were.
0: That's funny. That's funny. So so you did end up with a deal uh, with Arista Records uh, on their on their sublabel Areola. Um, yep. And you, you brought in Peter Bonta. Uh, to, to take really kind of, uh, Cox's spot, uh, keyboard player, uh, uh Billy, <laughs> Billy's son. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Probably who it was. Um, uh, and you're, and you're going to head into the studio and you're going to record uh, rave on, um, yes. and, and I did talk to Peter recently. He does say hi. Uh, yeah. Um, that's kind of nice. So uh, talk to, talk to us about rave on, uh, where, where was this re- recorded?
2: That was recorded at Bias Studios. Back where we started out. Back where we started
0: out, yeah. Back where you started out, wow. Yeah. Um, And
2: and, uh, uh, and, uh, Bob Dawson was the um, co-producer with us, if I recall correctly. And um, Bob Dawson is a great person. And uh, I'll tell you, it was the most fun that I'd had in the studio personally since we had done our early stuff, like not quite right on the forty-five and all that, it was just no. a completely different atmosphere, and uh, you know,
0: it was great time. A great well, no, time. Many, pe- many people, many artful Dodger fans, consider "Rave On" the best of Artful Dodger. I mean, the best, best of your four albums. Uh, what are I'm, your personal? I am one of them. John, John, one of them. Uh, what are your personal feelings uh, uh, as far as that album is concerned? Do you feel that that was the top of the mountain for uh, Artful Dodger? I mean, just artistically. Um... You know, I
3: think that was our purest Artful Dodger album. It was all Gary and Bill. You know, it was the, the insulated core of the band and Bob Dawson. There was nobody else involved. And it was the truest uh, version of Artful Dodger on record, I believe.
0: So sure uh, I, I think very true statement when you said nobody else involved and it was, uh, yeah. it was Gary and Billy and it was artful Dodger, um, uh, highly, highly underrated album. Uh, and of course, John and I were talking, when is this thing ever going to come out? Re release yeah. on CD or a nice vinyl. Has anybody ever talked to you about doing something like this or about doing a four album box set of, uh, of artful Dodger? Um, has there ever been any talk like that?
3: No, because they don't need us to do it. We haven't been involved with any of the re-releases.
0: <laughs> well, of course, right. it's, it's got to go through whoever whoever owns the masters now. But um, yeah, I think uh, I think of any band from that time period really deserves really deserves a uh, uh, compendium box set of, of, of the four four top-notch albums. Not Artful god has got to got, be at the top of the list, right, John?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. I would agree. Well, as, as you know, Mark, the, the first three got compiled in 2017 on, on,
0: the, on, uh, on the two yeah. CD
1: set. Uh, yeah. I think um, Rave On really needs to be re-released, you know, CD digitally on, on vinyl. Hopefully someone will, will do that one day. Cause I think it is just an amazing collection of songs, particularly songs like It's A Lie uh, She's Just My Baby. I think those are two of your best songs ever. Uh, really pure sounding, sort of power pop, jangly and uh, yeah, you know, with great my, melodies. Uh, yeah. And the passionate that, vocals still there. Yeah, She's Just My Baby was my heart. That was my harmonica
2: debut. <laughs> 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 Which can be a good thing or really a bad thing. To <laughs> I, think and, was, uh, uh,
1: I think it was uh, a good
0: thing. A song yeah. like. Uh, Forever, you know a song like forever which kind of uh to me is just was it's kind of a, a great i don't know a great ending so to speak as far as uh you know, artful dodger goes that that song just that tears me up you know it's uh so well done and the vocals are just absolute killer absolutely killer
3: um was released when rayvon was released it was one of the most added on albums in the country according to record world,
0: right, right
3: you know, right. and that was all over the country. And I think if, if that point, if we had had somebody pushing it, I think we might've broken through.
2: Right. Again, Steve, it was, there was uh, no product in the marketplace issue.
0: And that is even a, a tough album today. Uh, vinyl to find in any decent condition. Um, really hard. I don't know what the, the sales were, but um you try to find it, you, you, can, you can find it for an okay price on eBay, but uh, they're usually not in very good condition. Um, very hard to find.
1: Now, yeah, I, cool. I, I have a, a question for, for both of you. Um, you know, you guys are obviously a rock band, but you've also been classified as, as Power Pop by myself, Mark, and, you know, a bunch of other folks. What's your feeling about that term? A lot of artists back in the day considered it sort of the kiss of death, didn't want to be called Power Pop. What, what are your feelings about that?
2: Go ahead, Steve.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that, that we ever thought we were, but that's what people were telling us. And we first heard about bands like Big Star and Blue Ash in comparisons to us. You know, so, you and, know, yeah. Great I, bands. Great I think
2: um, the, the first band that I ever heard referred to as Power Pop was the Raspberries and the raspberries had some great songs so i mean it wasn't it wasn't a negative it's just you know i i think for anybody in a band you hope you don't get kind of holed up in some weird category where you're shutting out a lot of um, potential listeners by virtue of that i don't know
1: right yeah
0: but 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 even back in, in in that time you talk about some of the reviewers saying you know the American Rolling Stones and things like that I think yeah. you know you were you, you could be a lot of things in artful dodger you you guys could rock but you guys also had uh, the melodic anthem wonderful oh, uh, tunes is, you you kind of you had it all and and that's what John and I were talking about earlier. It's just uh, here's a band that could really do it all across the board. and it's just you know, it's just such a just such a a dagger that you didn't become yeah. bigger than, than what you did and you deserved a whole lot better. but we do. We, we are glad that you were around for, the, for those four albums. My God. Oh. Yeah, thank you. And, you know,
2: from a very personal standpoint, and I had said something like this, I think, a little earlier, uh, I feel like we were incredibly blessed. There are so many folks in the music business that are struggling working their rear ends off in clubs every night and doing things. And we had an opportunity that a lot of those folks don't have. Yeah. And... I thank God for that. Uh, you know, thank you, Lord. I mean, um, could it have been different? Could it have been better? Arguably, but yeah. for goodness sakes, I mean, we were given a great opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, Nice. Well, when that all came down, uh, you, you guys basically wrapped up the career as artful Dodger. Um, Couple couple things post Artful Dodger. We know Gary Cox passed away in 2012. Um, yes. Um, sadly. Um, yes. What did you guys? I mean, you 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 did a few reunion shows at the Agora in Cleveland, which was always a place uh, that held held you close to their hearts and all the fans there. But what did what did most of you guys do post Artful Dodger? Steve, what what did you get into?
3: Well, you know, I could tell you we would still be playing the agora if Gary Harrowig hadn't developed agoraphobia. No. Otherwise, you know, we'd still be there. <laughs> I got a paper pushing job. Uh, I worked for a software company doing tax accounting, which is pretty far from bass playing, and uh, no. that's what that's what helped me subsist, you know, over the years.
0: Playing at all? Were you, were you playing with uh, other entities? Uh...
3: Steve Bridget and I played with a local singer-songwriter, and I've gotten involved with a. Uh, I played with a Christian motorcycle ministry band who financed uh, a CD, and it's actually a, if it's not a misnomer term, it's kick-ass Christian.
0: Ah, okay, all right. <laughs> Southern Southern Rock Christian Gospel Rock Christian. <laughs> and Billy, what have you been up to?
2: Well, when
0: um, when the band kind of dismantled after the Ray
2: Vaughn album, uh, I went into the automobile business. And I was in that for 20 couple of years. And I was uh, sales manager, general sales manager, uh, general manager. I was there a long time. And then I opened a motorcycle shop that was in 2002 that was incredibly successful until 2008. Um, when the housing market collapsed in Virginia and other places. And uh, it's, it's you know, sort of one of those things. I don't really need a new leather jacket if I don't know how I'm keeping a roof over my head. You know, I mean, you understand folks make decisions like that. Um, and beyond that, I've done all kinds of little odd things, but um, still hang in there, still sing and play a little bit. And um, mostly I watch my son with... Complete amazement because he's such a talented
3: guy. Just like his play. dad, he can sing anything. Runs wow. so, uh, in the family. That's uh, great.
0: Do you guys miss the days? Do you miss the uh, the live shows? The Artful Dodger? Do you miss? Do you miss uh, the bandmates? Yes. A lot. Yeah. 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 It's, it's uh, I, obviously for all those years. It, it had to be like a, a band of brothers, so to speak. Uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, yes. Yeah, so it's just interesting w- with people keeping up with each other. I know you're probably separated by time and distance, but um, I'm sure if, if y'all got together in somebody's basement for a Friday night, you'd love to pick the stuff up and just and just do it again. That would be fun. Yeah.
3: Like riding a bike, it would come back. <laughs> you know, I haven't broached this with Bill, but perhaps it's a good time to announce that our we're going to sell our catalog. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Trying to cash in on that Huffle Dodger catalog. <laughs>
1: hey, Bob, uh, Bob Dylan did it. Why not you guys? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know if you'd be right at that level that Bob Dylan sold it for, but if you can get somewhere, maybe fifty percent of that, you know. Okay. Yeah. We take now,
1: it? now, speaking of your catalog, I, I have a question again for for both of you. With with such a great catalog, four albums. Uh, well, actually, two questions. One is there any unreleased material that never saw the light of day? And two, if each of you had to pick your personal favorite Artful Dodgers song, what would it be?
2: Oh, gosh. Oh. Hmm. I'm not at all sure, Steve. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, there are a couple songs, and they're probably not at the, the top of anybody else's list, but that I think are, are pure, perfect Hot classics, and they're "I don't want to see her," and "Now or never mind." Mm. I, I think they just they couldn't be better.
2: I like I like those songs too, Steve.
3: Wow! But you know, post um we did a lot of demos for Areola, and there there is another album's worth of unreleased Artful Dodger demos.
2: Oh yeah, there's um. You know, it's funny. Um, there's a song called "Take Me Back" that. Um, was written after the fact and that's on youtube there's one of my son doing it one of artful dodger doing it in a live show um as well as some other stuff out there
0: hmm so there's uh there's a decent amount of released material is what you're saying wow yes all right so, uh,
1: so i'm thinking maybe a two cd set with the, the <laughs> rave on and then the and then the uh follow-up yeah. that never was yes rave out yeah
0: Good. Mm, okay. Good. All right, we're going we're going on. You can
1: call it rave on. Rave on and on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here. Uh gentlemen, our time is coming towards an end, I've just got to say a sincere thank you for the music. Um uh, thank you for doing what you did uh in those years and making my teenage, high school and early college years so much better with such great music from Artful Dodger um thanks for being here on material issues with us this has been an absolute thrill an absolute pleasure um thank thank you for having us for us too
1: thank you yeah thanks Uh, guys so much for for being with us and i will just tell you as a longtime fan like mark this is a personal thrill for me and you know before i found out i was going to be doing this filling in for david i was in my car uh, i had my phone plugged in playing some music and uh it's a lie came up on, on, on shuffle whenever I hear those opening chords and the vocals kick in, I, I still get chills. So thank you for such wonderful music. It, it's really appreciated by a lot of people. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. It is appreciated
0: by a lot of people and let's, let's hope, uh, let's hope we've got something coming out in the future, especially on the, on the rave on side of things. Cause I know there's a lot of interest for a lot of people that, that would love to have that uh, um and someone just said they're proud of this man as a husband and father. So, I don't, I don't know That's which Bill. one, Bill's, uh, Bill's better half. That's
3: a reference so to Milton.
0: Well, guys, stay happy, stay healthy, stay grateful. Uh, thank you again for being here on Material Issues, John. Thank you for co-hosting. Uh, we're gonna say good night to you, but uh, all the friends they can see this again on the archive show, um, materialissues.com on YouTube and here on Facebook groups. Thank you again, Billy Paliselli, Steve Cooper of Thank Artful you. Doctor. Thank have you. Have a John. great night, Have a great night.
1: Well, John, there you have it. That was uh, that was a lot of fun. And and you know, I don't think I've ever had a discussion with with two more gracious, kind, appreciative gentlemen in the music industry. That's just really, really nice to see. And it's yes. nice to see, you know. Families, you know, getting involved, watching, and, and making those comments. It's you know, real real people, and and, and really great music. So very very and, cool. And, and as someone mentioned earlier in the comments,
0: they had great attitude. I mean, here's a band that released arguably four just top notch albums. Never really got their due. Should have, should have, could have, would have, and they still have a great attitude and feel yeah. blessed that they could do it. Um, yeah.
1: Not, not one ounce of, of bitterness did I hear and, you know, just, just gratefulness and um, you know, so many good songs. I've, I've been listening to it for the last couple of days, uh, all four records and um, just amazing stuff. And if, if anyone out there is watching this and you haven't heard Artful Dodger, oh my gosh, do yourself a favor, go on YouTube, go on wherever you can find it and, and dig in
0: and really dig in uh, because, you know, we talked about some of our favorite uh, top album tracks and things, but if you get, if you get deep into all the cuts, it just gets better and better. And and if you follow along the debut, self-titled honor among thieves babes on Broadway, and then you get to rave on and it's just such a buildup. Uh, it leaves you wanting more. That's, that's a band that left you wanting more, which yeah. is, which is a good way to go out, you know, yes, It'll leave them yep. wanting more. But, uh, I do thank you, John, for, uh, stepping in for, for David. Uh, it just makes it so much more of a pleasure to involve another, uh, Artful Dodger, uh, fan and, and to have you on the show. Um, and if you're looking for a great Beatles book, John's book, Beatles, 100, 100 pivotal moments. I can't say pivotal, pivotal, fast enough. In Beatles history that's available, uh, out there on the web as well. So, uh, you know, please look, look for that and, uh, and and buy a great Beatles book. Um, coming up next week, I just want to let everybody know we've got another great show. Uh, so tell your friends to subscribe here on Facebook or YouTube. Uh, we've got a husband and wife team. Uh, Rob Bonfilio of the fantastic Philly band Wanderlust. Um, and he's, he's done you know many things in, in the music industry. Solo albums that are fantastic. He's joining us along with his wife uh, from the, the that Fab Hitmakers, Wilson Phillips. It's uh, Carney Wilson, uh, also happens to be uh, uh, Brian Wilson's daughter. Um, not bad lineage, but she's very talented in her own right in many different uh, forms uh, of, of, uh, of media and I, I'm following some of her cooking programs as well. She's, uh, she's fantastic at that. So we're looking forward to that next Wednesday. Here on material issues, Rob Bonfilio and Carney Wilson. Uh after that, we've got all kinds of irons in the fire. We'd have nothing absolutely uh penciled in, but it will, and we will let you know what's coming up. Plus, uh, David and I will just be talking and yakking some more. So uh everybody
1: have a great night. John, thank you again. All right, Mark, thank you. It was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks to David for uh allowing me to do this and uh, go IPO and go material issues.
0: Go IPO. David, have a great, uh, great time in Chicago. We'll see you back here next Wednesday with Rob Bonfilio and Carney Wilson. Everybody have a great night. Stay happy, stay healthy. We'll see you soon. See you guys.